Shalom, this is Alex Israel uh, from Alon Shibut, and uh, I'm really excited to be starting uh, this project of learning the entire Chumashi Torah with you. And our best introduction is to start learning. Uh, we're going to start with Bereshit Perak Aleph, uh, and there cannot be a more fascinating chapter to study. On the one hand, uh, it is so familiar, I doubt we have even a single listener who has not read this chapter at some point, the creation chapter. But on the other hand, it's a very terse, a very concise text that is filled with mystery. Now, ostensibly, the creation chapter is to tell us exactly that, that the world came into being in six days. And if the world is created in six days, we're now in 5778, and uh, there's nothing more to talk about. But I think that for many people in a modern context, in a modern scientific context, this is a big challenge. Science, which we're all uh, part of, posits that the universe was created in a very different manner than six days of creation. It took billions of years. And possibly most serious and problematic for us that uh, science works on the assumption that Homo sapiens evolved from more primitive life forms. And how are we going to begin to understand this creation chapter um, in this context? Here there are four schools of thought. Uh, one, the first school uh, simply deny the Torah and accept science. They reject Torah. They say, look, science is correct. The Big Bang, uh, the theory of evolution, and uh, this is an ancient myth. That's school number one. School number two say the Torah is true and science uh, doesn't have it right. Some circles like Chabad will say that the fossils which people find, which are uh, millions or, or whatever year old, years old, are somehow planted by God to test our faith, but the world is indeed only 5,778 years old. So that's the second school. The first school denies Torah except science. The second store, school um, accepts Torah and denies science. A third school try to use sophisticated science to explain that in some way the Torah is still literally, literally true. Um, so, for example, they'll say that the six days can be explained by theories of relativity. Um, that's, uh, some have seen the, the writings of Natan Aviezer which go in this direction. In other words, using science in some way to say that the Torah is, is literally true. We're going to take a fourth approach. We're going to try and learn the words of the Torah and understand the words of Torah on its own terms and to see why this is such a remarkable document, why it is such a foundational document for all of us. You see, Many cultures have creation stories, and these creation stories always express the foundational beliefs. They present the fundamental ethical underpinnings of each society. And so therefore, my contention is going to be that this story is no different. We don't need Torah to tell us how the universe came into being. We can leave that to scientists, to geologists. Um, Torah is here not to tell us how we got here, but why we're here, for what. 
What is the meaning of mankind? What sort of world does God offer us? What should be the relation between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And uh, therefore, we're not going to get caught up with how this works with science. Instead, we're going to try and read the Torah and uh, begin to understand it. Now, let me begin, even before we read the first Sukkim, by saying that Bereshit is a beautifully structured, Bereshit chapter 1, is a beautifully structured text. We have six days, and as many of you will know, each day ends with a specific formula. And it was evening, it was morning one day. It was evening and it was morning a second day. In other words, every single paragraph, and each one is a Masoretic paragraph, ends with the same formula. With what phrase did the days open? Interesting. If you look at day 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, you will see they all begin with the same phrase, Vayomer Elohim. The only day which doesn't begin with Vayomer Elohim is the first day, because we begin with the text, Bereshit bara Elohim et HaShamayim et Aretz, may be translated, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Is that how the first day begins? Well, if you look to verse 3, you will actually see the first day begins in verse 3. With the word, the same as on day 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Vayomer Elohim ihi or. In other words, day number 1 begins with ihi or. God says, let there be light. And this leads to a very big question. What are the first two verses, Pasuk Aleph and Bet? What are they? How do they function? Our contention is going to be that the opening phrases are an introduction of sorts. And as an introduction, the question is going to be why we need an introduction to Breshit and what that introduction is. So let's begin to read. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim et aretz. This is usually translated, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In fact, we're going to present two readings. This is the first. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In this reading, and I'm going to here follow the Ramban, the Ta'amea um, Mikra is actually Bereshit. Put simply, the emphasis is on God's creation, ex nihilo, something out of nothing. Bereshit at the start. God created heaven and earth, there was nothing beforehand. Ramban goes further. And Ramban, Nachmanity, says that there is a distinction between bara, creating, and fashioning, yitzira. The first verse describes creation, something out of nothing. And what was created, says Ramban? Something called Heil. In the ancient metaphysics of Greek philosophy, Heil was the basic building blocks, probably what we would now think of as atoms. It's sort of a basic substance which you can fashion everything out of. God created heaven and earth means he created a basic substance. However, if you look at Pasuk 2, Everything was in a state of confusion. The land was in a state of chaos. And 
darkness on the face of the deep, and God's Spirit hovered over the face of the water. There is a state of confusion um, with everything in a sort of a muddle. And this is the first read that we're going to have. I think if we if we look at this, we might well understand the next few verses, which I'm I'm going to read through um, in order to help us uh, appreciate them. So let's keep reading. What happens next? God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. He saw the light was good. And God made a distinction between light and dark. God called the light day. And to the night he called to the darkness he called night. The first day, what does he do? He makes the light. This light could well be light that we know, or it could be energy. Um, it could be something like lightning, which isn't quite light as we know it from the sun or the moon and the stars, but it's a different type of, of energy. Whichever way, once you have light, there can't be dark. And therefore, in order maybe to preserve dark, he makes a separation between light and dark, calls them day and night. The second day, it's almost as if there's water everywhere, and now he has to make what we call a firmament, firmament in the water. He separates between water and water. And God acted and separated the water which is underneath the firmament and the water which is above the firmament. And so it was. And God called the firmament Shamaim. Literally, there is water. Shamaim. What is God doing in the second day? What he does is, is that he has a mass of water. He pushes some water up above what we would nowadays call sky, Shamaim, and some below the sky. We'll talk about the water below the sky in a minute. In ancient times, they really believed that there was a vault, that there was water up there. I don't know whether this uh, corresponds to scientific findings that there is water on the edges of the universe. Whichever way they imagined, and this will come back to this in the story of Noah, that there was water up above, water down below. And what God does is he calls the Rakia Shamayim, this is the second day. I want you to appreciate that we have undergone the same process on day one and day two. God has created, but more importantly, what God has done is, and the same word is used, in first day, God separates between light and dark. In the second day, he separates between the upper waters and the lower waters. And then he does something different, because what he then does after separating is he names. He calls the light day and the dark night. On day two, he calls the firmament Shamaim. So we have a process of separation, distinction, and naming. This is true on the third day as well. If we have water below the sky, water below the firmament, what does God do? 
יקרבו המים מתחת השמיים אל מקום אחד ותיראה היבשה. Let all the water gather to one place and let the um, dry land be seen. And so it was. And now what he does, so he does a process of separation, even though that verb is not used, pushes the water over to expose the land. He calls the dry land Eretz, land. And to the pools of water, Kara Yamim, he calls that seas. Vayar Elokim Kitov, God saw that was good. We have a process of separation and then naming. And now we have we have sea and we have dry land. The last thing, Vayar Elokim Tachecha Eretz Deshe, Esiv Mazuya Zera, Eitz Pri Ose Pri Minoa Shezaro Boko Haaretz, Vayahi Chain. Let the earth grow grass. Plants yielding seed of each kind, and trees bearing fruit of each kind, but a seed within it upon the earth, and so it was. The land produces vegetation. Um, the earth put forth grass, plants yielding seeds of each kind, and trees bearing fruit, but has its seed within it of each kind. And God saw that it was good by here, by Yom Shlishi. Let's try and appreciate what we begin with and what we end with. In the beginning, we have the land was in a state of chaos. There was no place, so to speak, to stand. The Choshech Alpanetahom, right? There was darkness on the face of the deep. In other words, it was a dark world. And, um, in other words, there is no productive land, there is no light, and there is no, there's no, there's no end to the water. What we do is we reverse this state of verse 2 of, in these three days, and we create, if you want, vertical space, horizontal space, and land for somewhere to live on, we create order. So we've come a long way, just in three days. This is the reading of the Ramban. Creation happens in a moment. Everything else after that is fashioning, is organization. One moment of Bria, of creating, followed by a whole process of fashioning. I have to say Rashi goes even further. And Rashi says that we have to read the first verse not as we read it before. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but we read it somehow differently. He says he's got a few problems. He says, I don't get it. In the beginning God did not create the heavens of the earth. He created Shamayim on day two. He created the earth on day three. Rashi says more than that. He says, I don't get it. When was water created? If Bereshit is there to tell us how everything is created, why doesn't it say that God created water? And therefore Rashi makes a very, very dramatic statement. And he says, Bereshit is not here to tell us the order of creation. Bereshit begins after he disagrees with the Rambam after the moment of creation. The first two verses should be read in the following way. 
when God began to create heaven and earth, or in the beginning of the creation of heaven and earth, then there was chaos and confusion and darkness on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God um, hovered over the water. In other words, we pick up the story after the Big Bang, so to speak. We pick up the story after the moment of creation. This verifies what I said earlier. For Rashi, the interesting thing is not where the world came from, but something else. And what is this something else? If we want to start talking about what this chapter starts saying, this chapter is saying that God wants an organized world, a world which is in, not in a state of confusion, but in a state of order. And this is going to be um, hotwired into this chapter uh, by its entire structure. We've already said that this chapter is organized into paragraphs, one per day. But at a closer look, we realize that these six days divide into two in a very, very beautiful way, as we will see. Day one, we create God creates light. But on its corresponding day, the first of the second set of three, day four, God creates luminaries, the sun and the moon, the Mu'orot. Or on day one, Mu'orot on day four. On day two, God separates the water, so there's water up there, water below, and a space in the middle. What does God create on the corresponding day, on day five? He creates fish and birds. Fish will be in the water. And birds will fly in the space which is the rakia, which is the shamayim, which is the sky. On the third day, God created land because he pushed aside the water and created dry land. What is he going to create on the sixth day? Man and beast, which live on the land and eat the vegetation on that land. In other words, what God does in the first three days, is that God creates Shammai Va'aretz. He creates the backdrop. He creates a spatial framework. And now what he's going to do in the next three days, we're all familiar with the verse, Vayachulu va'am. God finished creating Shammai Va'aretz, heaven and earth, or sky and earth. V'cholz va'am. The first three days, Shammai Va'aretz. The, the next set of three days, called Sva'am. What is Sva'am? The moving parts. Almost like day one, two, three, set the backdrop. Like on a, on a stage, when you create a backdrop for the stage. But now things move on that stage. The luminaries move through the sky. The, uh, sh the, the, the Shamayim and the, the Rakia are filled with birds and the fish. And the land is filled with animals. And human beings. A beautifully organized world in a very, very structured way. So let's keep reading. Here we go. Uh, God said, Let there be luminaries in that heaven. To separate between um, day and night and let them be for signs and for given times and for days and for years. In other words, we use the sun and the moon in order to regulate our times. And let them illuminate in the heaven in order to illuminate the worlds and so it was. Notice here 
throughout the chapter, as we say in Tehillim, Hu Amar Vayehi, Hu Amod. God talks and things just happen. Vayhi Chaim. Vayas Elohim Yishneh Ma'orat HaGdolim. He makes two luminaries. Et Ha'or HaGadol L'mshelet Bayom. Et Ha'or HaKatan L'mshelet HaLayla. He makes the large luminary, the sun, for the um for the day, and the smaller one, the moon, for the night. Vayet HaKochavim and the stars. Vayitein Rotam Elohim. God places them. Barakia HaShamayim. In that space between the water, in the Rakia, which is the Shamayim, which is the heavens, the sky. La'ira Aleph. To illuminate the world. V'lim Shol Bayom Uvalayla. And now they will separate between light and between dark. God saw it was good. It was night, it was day, the fourth day. I want you to notice that God, the word which comes up time after time in this paragraph, is the notion of Memshala, that God is giving over his dominion, his control um, to these secondary bodies to the sun and the moon. Now, one could say this is very dangerous. This is what idolatry says. But, of course, what God is saying is, I am giving over some of my power to my servants. Here, the sun and the moon are given any independent power. They do exactly what God told them to. They are not gods. However, God says, I have given them over in order to help my word function. And he gives them a memshala, lemshelet hayom, lemshelet halayla, they are there as God's, so to speak, emissaries in order to regulate time. The fifth day, let the sea swarm with sheretz nefesh chaya. Let the sea swarm with um, living creatures. And the birds that fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. And God created the great um, sea monsters. The sea monsters, we've got to talk about that. And every kind of creature that creeps in the waters came forth in swarms. But Kolof Kanaflaminehu and all the winged birds according to their kinds, Bayarokim Kitove, Varachotamalokim, and God said, Purur of Vum Iluita Aretz Beamim, the off you read Baaret, my Arab Bayboker Khamishi, and it was evening, it was morning, the fifth day. What are these great sea monsters? Um here the Ramban illuminates our eyes, and he says because sometimes we have whales and huge animals in the sea, um, which which are so large that they're even spoken about in, in, in mythical books and in fairy tales. Um, he says, therefore, the Torah has to emphasize that God created them all. Here you see something which Professor Kasuto has noticed, that there seems to be almost a polemic already in Sefer Bereshit to show that God is in control of everything in the creation. And I'm going to talk about this in a few minutes when I talk about the purpose of this chapter. That uh, Kasuto said that many things in this uh, chapter are there to uh, upend the beliefs of, of idolaters. For example, we already see in Tehillim chapter 74, Atta porarta bo'oschayam shibarta rashaytanini malamayim. 
you smash the heads of the Taninim, of the sea monsters, in the water. You smash the head of the Leviathan. Things that certain cultures saw as gods. God is absolutely in control. I'd say more than that. At the end of every stage, he says, Kitov, it's good. We're going to come back to that. Let's quickly go to the sixth day. Let the land create nefesh chayalamina. Notice that in the fifth day, it was the sea. The sea was given agency to create these animals. In the sixth day, it is the land which produces a living creatures, lamina, according to their kinds, behema, animals, livestock, veremesh, vechaito, aretz, lamina, and wild animals according to their kinds, by hichain, and so it was. The, at the beasts of the, of, of the earth, lemina, according to their kinds, and all the animals, and God saw that it was good. And now we have the creation of man. Let us make man in our image, according to our fashion, and he will subjugate all the fish of the sea and all of the birds of the sky and the animals of the earth and everything that crawls over the face of the earth and God created man in his image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them let's spend a few minutes talking about man First of all, I want to point at a word which is used here, which is a very key word, vaivra. I mentioned in my opening comments, there is a difference between bore and yotzer. Bore is creating something out of nothing, says Nachmanides. And the word bara is a very rare word in this chapter. It's used in very specific cases. The first time it comes up is at the beginning of creation, bereshit bara'elokim, God creates. And in that world, we see the whole creation of the mineral kingdom and the vegetable kingdom. Bara comes along again where it says, Vayivra Elohim et hataninim hagdolim. When he starts creating fish and birds, suddenly the word Vayivra. In other words, a step up from the, anim- from, the veg- from the mineral and the vegetable, a whole leap is the move from those inanimate objects to living creatures who can experience pain, who can reproduce. Suddenly this is a new stage. However, Vayivra comes in again when God creates man. That word Vayivra catapults up up to a completely different stage. And why is it a different stage? I mentioned the water produces the fish, the earth produces the animals. But in this case, there is no indication of how man came into being. Man is Vayivra, he's a new stage of creation, a new Yesh Me'ayin, a new something out of nothing, and more than that, he is B'tzalmenu, he is in God's image. I should say, God is the creator. By the way, the word that we are in God's image is said three times. Na'aseh Adam B'tzalmenu, Vayivra Elohim et Adam B'tzalmo in his image, B'tzalem Elohim Bara'otam, Zachar Nekeva Bara'otam, three times the word bara. Three times the word B'Tselem, God's image. Until now, what is God? God is the person who gives, God is the being that gives order. God is the being that creates. If we are in God's image, we are meant to make order and we are meant to create. 
And another stage will be that God actually talks to mankind. When God blessed the fish or God blessed the animals, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill um, and fill the, 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 the sea. But with man, God blesses them. He says to them, God talks to mankind. He talks to humankind. Verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Take control of them. And take control of all the fish, of all the birds, of all the animals. And more than that, the Omer Lokim Hinei Latati Lechemet Kol Eisen Zorea Zera Al Shal Pnei Kol Haaretz Bekol Haetza Shebo Priyet Zorea Zera Lachem Yeh Nochla. I have given you all of the vegetation which um, is able to reproduce, and all of the trees which create fruits, and it will be for you to eat. And indeed, Lo Lechol Chayat Haaretz Lo Lechol Of Hashemayim Lo Lechol Ramei Sal Haaretz Shebo Nevishtaya Et Kol Yerek Eisev Nochla. I've also given the animals. All of the vegetation. Humans have vegetation and fruit. The animals just have the grasses, the vegetation. Uh, we're going to deal with Shabbat next time, but I would like to say some concluding comments about this formidable chapter. Let's start off with the last phrase. One of the ways in which this chapter is structurally beautiful is that at the end of every stage, God sees that it is good. In fact, on day three, the end of the Shammai and Ba'aretz, we have on day three twice. God says it's good twice. And on the sixth day, the end of the second set of three days, the end of the Tzva'am, once again he says Kitov twice. But the interesting thing is that whereas God says kitov, that everything is good, he expresses his satisfaction for everything, there is only one thing about which God does not say kitov, and that is mankind. That's a bit of a surprise. Shouldn't man be the pinnacle of creation? Rasimcha Koimidvinsk, the Meshachachma, explains the following. You say kitov when something is completed. You say it is good when something is whole and done. And this, by the way, explains why on the second day we don't have Kitov, because God hasn't finished the work with the water till the third day. So he, when he finishes the water on the third day, he says, and it was good. And he means it's complete. But humankind is never complete. Humankind is not complete because we have free will. And by having free will, we are an open book. We could be Kitov. But we could end up, as we will see later on in Bereshit, that man becomes Ra. And therefore God cannot say about man, Kitov. This is a statement of investment in man, that man has Bechira Chofshit. Man has free will. Now I'd like to finish this chapter by explaining a little bit about why this chapter is so special. And in order to do this, I have to say a little bit about the cultures in which Jews lived, in which people lived in those times. When you look at the ancient myths of Mesopotamia and Egypt, we find 
the following story all of the time. How is the world created? God fights, the gods fight between each other and the gods have a big battle. And as a result of the battle, somehow the world got created by accident. In the Babylonian epic in Umaylish, there's a big fight between the gods and Marduk kills another god called Tiamat, which is a sea monster or a sea god, and takes the carcass of that god and makes it into the world. And then all the gods want some rest. So they say, oh, we better create humans so they can work for us. The world of the Babylonian myths is that you can't trust the gods. The gods fight. They only create human beings so that human beings can do their bidding. And you never know when the gods are going to destroy you. There's no order in the world. It's all one big scramble. Okay, so now let's look at our creation chapter. I said the creation chapter isn't here to tell us how the world came into being. The creation chapter is here to tell us why we're here, to explain what our world is about. I put it this way. Number one, God created a world and wanted an ordered world. Number two, God creates a world where there is a hierarchy. We start off with the mineral and vegetable, then we move into animal life, which is even higher. And then even higher than that, man is made with telemolecule. And man is told to be in control. He is told, Fill the world and control it. Express your dominion over everything. Man is put in a position of responsibility. On the one hand, it's true that on the sixth day, man is equated to animals in the fact that we live and die like just animal, animal life too. But man is given a new vaivra. He's on a completely different level. And let's take it a further stage. God says this is a world of goodness. This isn't a scary world. This is a world where man is a prisoner. Man is given, is asked to be like God. Man is asked to be a creator and a preserver of the world, just like God. To develop the world further, just like the luminaries are given responsibility, so man is given responsibility, but much more power. And more than that, this world is It's a good world. That means that somebody for whom Am Yisrael, who bring this book into the world, are presenting a completely different drama. This is a God you can trust. And this is a God who trusts man. This is a God of hope. This is a God who says this is a good world. More than that, this is an organized world which is moving in a direction of progress. And it is these ideas which form the fundamentals of the Jewish philosophy of the world. So what I'm saying is more that more than Bereshit explains how we got here. Bereshit explains, Bereshit Perak Aleph, the creation chapter explains why we are here, for what we are here, and the meaning of uh, our being here. We still haven't finished the creation chapter, though, because we haven't got to the seventh day. And it's to this that we're going to turn our attention, please God, in our next podcast. See you then.